Some of you guys are just too bored. Some of you are just bored. You wake up, you do the daily grind, you get home, do a couple other things, go to bed, do it again. And you do it again. And you do it again. And sometimes you throw some fun things into the mix, some fun experiences, some fun activities, and it kind of temporarily sustains that. But after a while, you find yourself still left hungry, craving for more, longing for something more, more meaning, more purpose. Sometimes you feel like your life is kind of being stuck, forced, watching a slow-motion, uh, colorless movie. And there's just no, there's no depth to it. There's no technicolor to it. Uh, and there's no HD to it. It's just kind of a boring existence. And, you, and if you're truly honest with yourself, God really isn't the center of your life. And his interests aren't really your interests. And so you're left feeling hungry, bored, and powerless. The good news is, is that God has created you for a greater purpose, and he has made available to you the power to live out that purpose. We also have a problem because some of you are very frustrated right now. You're frustrated. You're frustrated because you're attempting to live with God at the center of your life, but you don't seem to be getting much traction. You go to church you read the Bible, you know, maybe, maybe you're in a life group, you, you have a prayer life, you even try to behave, <laughs> but for some reason, things don't seem to work out for you. In fact, you don't even know if God's paying attention to you, and you feel like you're stuck in a maze, just running around, and, and you don't have any clue how to get out, and you're just frustrated, and you feel powerless. The good news is, is that God has created you for a greater purpose and he has made available the power to live out that purpose. And the people that uh, comprised the early church can relate to that. They knew what it was like to live a life that had boredom, that, that, that had frustration. They, they felt powerless until Jesus Christ came on the scene and changed all of that for them. The early church can resonate with some of us feeling that way. And these are men and women that walked with Jesus. Jesus brought them purpose in life, and he brought them power in life, and power for life. And uh, walking with Jesus probably didn't feel like a walk as it did sometimes a roller coaster ride, twists and turns and ups and downs, a life of adventure, walking with Christ. And little did they know, the ride was just getting started. So as we spend a year emphasizing being a disciple of Jesus and trying to grow other disciples of Jesus, I figured it would be no better, uh, there would be no better book to look at and study a little bit than the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts covers the, the early church and the roller coaster ride that it was. The book of Acts is a roller coaster ride ups, downs, twists, turns. I mean, you've got uh, an adventure, an accurate, truthful, historical accounting that's an adventure complete with supernatural manifestations. You've got miracles, powerful preaching, conflict. You've got arrest, jailbreaks, death. You've got thousands of transformed lives. And it's far from boring. And it's far from frustrating. And it's far from powerless. And within the book of Acts, we get a better understanding of the greater purpose that God has called us to and a greater understanding of the power he's made available so that we can live out that purpose. 
And so with that, I'm going to invite you right now to open up your Bibles to the book of Acts. Hopefully you brought your Bibles. You have a Bible. Maybe you have a Bible application. You can open up your Bible application. If, if you're here uh, today and you don't actually own a Bible, you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Happy New Year. Uh, they're free for you out in the information center. Uh, if you're online watching, join us as well as we open up the book of Acts. And we're going to be looking at the first 12 verses in the book of Acts this morning. And I just want to teach through those 12 verses a little bit, but then circle back around and zoom in on one verse. And this one verse is actually the theme of all the book of Acts. It's like the mission statement for the whole book of Acts. But we need to start at Acts chapter 1, and we're going to go through one through verses 1 through 12. And I'll just be stopping on occasion and, and bringing some context to some of what we're reading. Let's start. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Let's just stop there. I've got a few questions we have to answer uh, who is Theophilus, this guy? What's this first book that's being referenced? And who's the guy calling himself I? Who's the I? Well, we'll answer two of those in one shot. The first book is the Gospel of Luke. So therefore, the guy speaking in this context is, is Luke. And Luke was a doctor. We believe he was a, a Gentile man, a non-Jew who was converted to faith in Christ. Uh, Luke was a companion of the Apostle Paul, and, and, and did ministry with him. Uh, Luke was a meticulous historian. And when you take the book of Luke and you take the book of Acts together, they make up almost 30% of the New Testament. No one else has written more in the New Testament than Luke, even more than Paul, even more than John. Luke has, uh, between those two books, his combined uh, writing is almost a third of the New Testament alone. And so God has given us a great gift through this man, Luke, and capturing the details of the life of Christ and capturing also the details of the early church. This makes the book of Acts a sequel to the book of Luke. It's a companion read. And so they go together. Now, we don't know much about who he wrote the book to. His name is Theophilus. He's only mentioned a few times in Scripture. Obviously, by the name, he's, he's of Greek origin. But his name's Theophilus, but what we do learn is he's addressed here as the most excellent Theophilus. This is a term that was reserved for people who had some sort of high ranking in society. So we don't know what kind of ranking he had, but obviously Theophilus was some sort of influential person in society. And when you look at the beginning of Luke, who was addressed to Theophilus and, and, and dealt with those things, as well as the book of Acts that you see uh, with Theophilus, Theophilus was probably a new Christian. Because Luke is capturing these events and pointing to them and saying, let me, let me explain to you what happened in the life of Christ. Let me, let me reference all the things that have been recorded so that you can be confident in your faith, so that you can know that you know that you know that all these things really happened. And so we believe that Theophilus was probably a newer believer that really was being discipled by Luke. And so when we think about our calling as followers of Christ to be a disciple and to grow other disciples, I guess one way we can look at it is, is you are a Luke to someone who's your Theophilus. And you're probably a Theophilus to someone else who's your Luke. 
And so it's very appropriate that Luke was a disciple trying to grow Theophilus, another disciple. And so that's a little bit of context as we look at those first few verses. Let's move on. Verse 4. And while staying with them, speaking of Jesus and the disciples, and while staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Well, now we start to open up some thick stuff. When I, when, when I said we're going to be teaching the book of Acts, some of the people who have studied theology raised their eyebrows because when you start to look at the book of Acts, it's one of those books that's loaded with different various views and debates on aspects. And in this one sentence, um, uh, you, you, uh, in, in verse 5, in one sentence, we have two of the favorite fighting words for churches, baptize and Holy Spirit. And so you see churches that have split over views on baptism, right? And then we have lots of churches that have split on different views of the Holy Spirit. And so I just want to say that as we begin the book of Acts, uh, we're going to be dealing with some of the nuances and different views related to the Holy Spirit and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit and how do you know when you're saved and what manifestations should be tied to that and what does it mean to be baptized in, baptized with, baptized by, filled with the Holy Spirit, all those things. We'll be dealing with those things in the weeks to come as we, as we look closer at that. And so those nuances will be fleshed out. We'll do some of that here in our teaching and we're going to do some of that on our blogs. And so uh, if you have not subscribed to the CVC blog yet, or you don't go there regularly, uh, you're going to want to subscribe because then you can get some good juicy stuff, all right? As we talk about uh, the theology and some of the different uh, variations related to the Holy Spirit and baptism. But basically, in summary, what Jesus is communicating here, and it's been captured by Luke in relation to these verses, is this. John the Baptist is a man who came, and he baptized people with water before Christ started his ministry. Now, that baptism of water was a baptism of repentance. It was a person being postured and prepared for the one who was to come, that they were going to repent from their sins. So that water baptism of John the Baptist didn't save anybody's soul, but it prepared them and postured them for the one who was going to come and be able to save their soul. All right? So John the Baptist immersed with water. Jesus was going to come and immerse with the Holy Spirit. And so uh, it's very, under, very important to understand that as you look at this. Um, when, when it talks about the promise, it's like, well, what promise? The, Jesus is talking about the promise of the Father. Well, this is where you see the Bible as being one book, one story, right? It's one story with little books in between, not a uh, bunch of little stories that make up one book. And so it's one story. You go all the way back to the book of Joel in the Old Testament, the prophet Joel, and you look at chapter 2, verse 28, it talks about the Lord's going to... Um, uh, pour out his spirit upon the men and women and upon our sons. And, 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 and this is a promise that God has given. I'm going to pour out my spirit. Old Testament book of Joel. And now you have Jesus referencing that it's going to happen in the beginning. This will be the fulfillment of this promise happening. And so that's the promise that the father said. But for us, we need to operate moving forward based on this verse with this confidence. We need to know that all Christians receive the Holy Spirit at conversion. All Christians receive the indwelling third person of the triune God upon their faith in Christ. So in that sense, all believers have been baptized um, in the Holy Spirit. We see in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, it says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, 
Jews, Greeks, slaves, frees, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And so it's very clear that the believers in Christ share this unity, this baptism of the Holy Spirit at conversion of faith. And then obviously, like I talked about, there's other views of extra fillings and all those kinds of things that take place that we'll unpack as we move through the book of Acts, because there'll be plenty of room to do that. But it's interesting, Jesus told them he wanted them to go to Jerusalem to wait for the promise. Isn't that beautiful when God tells you to wait? Hashtag sarcasm, right? This is, this is a promise coming. This is awesome. Yeah, well, I want you to go back to Jerusalem and wait for it. Did you just use the W word? Really? Wait? Ah. But they were to wait. Why Jerusalem? Why Jerusalem? Because when Jesus, Jesus had plenty of time to give them the Holy Spirit. They could have been on a mountain together, and he said, you know what? Let's just do this now. Let's get it over with. But it wouldn't do any good giving the Holy Spirit to the disciples if they're out in the wilderness by themselves having a little kumbaya moment, okay? They needed to be in the epicenter of all things political, cultural, and social. God wanted them to be a ground zero when the Holy Spirit came so that when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, there'd be people to preach to. There'd be people to witness to, that there'd be witnesses witnessing to others, right? And so they needed to be in Jerusalem, which is the epicenter of all those things. God's a strategist. He knows exactly what he's going to do. He knows exactly what his plan is, and he will do things according to his plan. And so that's what he was asking them to do. And so he wanted them to be in Jerusalem. So that's the context there. Moving on, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So the disciples are getting excited. Wow, you know, you're talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit and the promise of God. This is all going to be amazing. This means, this means the return of the kingdom. This is the restoration of the kingdom. Woohoo! This is exciting. And so they're like, Jesus, is that when you're going to have the kingdom restored? And the reason they ask this question is you have to understand the importance of the restoration of the kingdom to the Jewish mindset. And the Jewish mindset, uh, being in Jerusalem, a very holy, sacred place, now that is occupied by the Roman Empire, for them, the restoration of the kingdom means that the Messiah will come and he will restore Israel back to the same might and prominence that it had since the, the days of King David. Now, we're going to have the military, we're going to have the presence, we're going to have the power, this is going to be amazing. Jesus, is that when you're going to do that? This is important. And Jesus gave them a slightly gentle rebuke here when he said, it's not, it's not for you to know. He's like, this is above your pay grade. This is out of your jurisdiction. You don't need to worry about that. And what he's basically telling them is this. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom first. It's built into the lives of people. The kingdom of God is developed through the hearts and the minds of the people as they come to faith in Christ. The kingdom is built spiritually first, and then, yes, one day it will be uh, built fully, finally, and physically at the return of Christ. When Christ returns, then he will complete the construction of his kingdom, if you will. But right now, the construction is taking place through the gospel, through the sharing of the gospel. And so he's really trying to root this into their hearts. This is a spiritual kingdom. Don't you be thinking about the physical kingdom right now. You need to be thinking about the spiritual kingdom right now. And so he took care of this thing going, that's not important. But what he tells them next is of utmost importance. And this, this is the verse that we're going to circle back around and, and look at a little closer in a minute. But we need to look at it. It's Acts 1.8. This is the verse that has the clarity and the power that Christ is talking about. 
Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is the big mission statement for the church, capital C. This is what partners well with um, the, the Great Commission we see in Matthew 28. And what you're looking at here are the last recorded words of Jesus before he left. I want you to think about that. How important is it when someone says something before they're not going to see you for a long time? You know, I, I just talked to a man after last service that he makes sure that uh, every time he, he leaves his wife or his kids or his family, he just says, I love you. I love you. Because if something were to ever happen, he wants the last word ever spoken out of his mouth that they remember was, I love you. He doesn't want it to be something of hate or anger or something of no substance. And so, you know, as I was thinking about that, I was, I've shared this before, but I was even thinking about when we moved out here to California um, five years ago, I'm thinking about that last moment with my, my friends, my closest friends, my best friend. And um, man, I just, it's like, I'm not going to see you for a while. I don't, I don't know when I'm going to see you next. I'm getting on a plane, I'm going to Ohio. I have no idea when I'm going to see you next. And then all of a sudden it was just like, you know, I love you, man. And, you know, I'm scared and pray for me. Like things that had importance in my spirit were flowing out because I just didn't know when I was going to see him again. And I wanted those things to stick. And he was doing the same thing, you know, and the girls were over there weeping in the corner and all that kind of fun stuff. It's like, you know, because girls like to cry, you know, that kind of fun stuff. And um, I'm just joking. And... That had importance to it. I'm going, man, if, if we as people know that if we're going to take a long trip, a long journey, we're going to move or trying to give things of substance and importance to those we care about, how much importance did this have? These are the last recorded words of Jesus before he went and ascended into heaven. Great importance. We're going to circle back around and talk about it in a minute. Moving on, verse 9. After he said this amazing thing. Verse 9. And when he had said these things... As they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. I just stopped there for a second and go, wow. Like, if I could just trade shoes with those guys for a minute, that must have been a really cool moment. Like, have you ever watched a helium balloon go into the sky? All of us right now, you let it go, and you watch it, and you watch it to see if you can still see it. I mean, these guys are just still, like, no cables, no pulleys, no jetpack. Jesus just starts ascending into heaven. Mind blower, Right? And just sitting in heaven, and they're just watching. I'm, I just get this vision of them looking like, can you still see him? Yeah, I think that's his foot, you know? Just sitting into heaven, the ascension of Christ. And of course, their moment got rudely interrupted, right? Verse 10, and while they were gazing, almost think like gawking, you know? As they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. These are angels. And said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. You understand we're still waiting for that, right? This is a promise. Like, we're waiting. Christ is coming back. This is just the, the, this, this is just the catalyst of a moment that we're still waiting for the fulfillment of this promise. We're still looking to the skies, if you will. So the angels interrupt them. What are you looking at? He's coming back. Go get busy, right? Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mountain called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. This is one of my highlights of going to Israel a year and a half ago. This is one of my things I'm looking forward to of going again in, in less than six months. And some of you are going to go with us on our first trip. But um, was being on the Mount of Olives. 
and going like, this is where Jesus taught, this is where he hung out with the disciples, like somewhere within visual range of me, he ascended into heaven. This is phenomenal. And he's coming back and just looking at the panoramic view of Jerusalem and just taking that all in, it's an amazing moment. But verse 12 is so important. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Man, the ascension of Jesus in heaven, that was amazing. But I want to come back around now and look at Acts 1.8. Let's go back to the words of substance that Jesus left. I want to read it again. I'm going to ask for your help in a couple spots. Uh, but you will receive what? Power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This is the theme for the entire book of Acts. This is the mission statement, if you will, for the entire book of Acts. And in it, I think we see three crucial details to God's available power. This series is called Empowered because we're talking about the great purpose that God has made us for and the great power he's made available so that we can live that purpose. And in this verse, I see, I see three crucial details to God's available power. First, we have to understand this, the people empowered. The people that were empowered. Look again at Acts 1, it says, you will receive power. Who's the you? Is that just anybody? No. This is specific to those people who believe in, love, and follow Jesus Christ. This is true for the people who have transferred their trust from religion and good works and good behavior or whatever it is, church, to Jesus, his death on the cross for the sins of man, his resurrection from the grave to prove his authority over sin and death, his ascension into heaven. That's the you. You will receive power. Believers, followers of Christ. I love how Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, helps bring clarity to those who have the Holy Spirit, to, to who the you is here. If you look at Romans 8, verses 9 through 11, look what we see. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If you're in the flesh and you're not in Christ and you've never placed faith in Christ, no Holy Spirit, no power, no relationship with God, no heaven, no, no, no great purpose for life on earth, bored, frustrated, powerless. But if you come to faith in Christ and you move into a relationship with Christ and you follow Christ, then the Spirit comes into you to live in you, dwell in you at that point of conversion and empowers you to live a life of purpose and to live a life for God's purpose. And so basically, spiritless, powerless. Only for those who know and love Jesus. And I, and I love the fact that we, we understand that and we need to know that. So God has made you for this great purpose. God has made available to you the power to live out that purpose. So we see the people that, this, that, that are going to be empowered. We also see the person empowering. Not just the people who receive, but the person who empowers. We know that God, this is the mystery of God. He's a triune God. One God. Three unique personalities Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and this is the area the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in the believer. And so we look at Acts 1.8, it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
The disciples had no power within themselves. None. We have no power within ourselves. You bored? You frustrated? You powerless? Um, you know what? Manpower won't do it. A positive mental attitude's not going to do it. You need a relationship with Christ. You need the empowering, uh, the empowering of the Holy Spirit living in you. I, I cannot be a disciple, nor can I grow other disciples without the Holy Spirit. You cannot be a disciple. And you cannot grow other disciples without the Holy Spirit. If you're spiritless, you're powerless. But Jesus saying, I'm going to give you the power. I, lo- I love what Jesus said. Luke captured it. Our, our meticulous historian captured it. Luke 24, 49. Jesus said, behold, I'm sending the promise of my father. There's that reference back to Joel again. Uh, upon you. But stay in the city until you are, and I love this phrase, clothed with power from on high. And the disciples were being clothed with the power of God through the empowering, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. It was going to be God's power to serve, to live for him, to love others, to endure persecution, to preach. This was the power that they were receiving. Now again, there's debate. There's debate on this. Well, when do we receive the Holy Spirit and what manifestations, all that kind of stuff. We'll get to some of that. We'll talk about some of that. But here's what happens. People get hung up in Acts because there's a lot of miraculous signs that that come along with the the coming of the Holy Spirit in the early church. And and this is where we have to be careful because when we read the book of Acts, we're going to ask for wisdom to understand the difference between that which we see in this book, which is descriptive, and that which is prescriptive, right? Right? Because the descriptive understanding is this is a recording, this is a description of something that happened to them. And, and that, it's, just a, it's, just, it's just a historical accounting. It's descriptive. And that which is prescriptive. We saw it happen for them, therefore it's also supposed to happen for us. It's a model. It's prescribed for us to also experience in our faith. And the church has been arguing about this for centuries about that which we see in the book of Acts, which is descriptive and that which is prescriptive. And a lot of it circles around, you know, the the miracles and the healings and all those things. And so here's the thing. We're not going to dive into all that right now, but we can do this. We can affirm miracles. God is a God who does miracles, is he not? He can heal. He can fix. He can repair. He can bend the laws of nature. God can do whatever he wants. It's It's his playground. He made the toys. He can do whatever he wants. Okay? So we affirm miracles. We affirm the supernatural. We affirm that God can do anything outside of our human understanding. So there's, we have nothing against that, but here's what, we, here's what we need to be very clear. Miracles and the supernatural do not grow the soul. Miracles and supernatural things aren't what really mature us and grow our soul and lock things in. Now, some of you might be going, I don't know. I'd like to see a miracle. That'd be pretty cool. So would I, and I actually have. But here's the thing. All you got to do is look at one of the many evidences in the Bible to prove that. Let's just take one. Over a million people standing in front of the Red Sea, watching it part, walking across dry land, only to see the Red Sea collapse on the pursuing Egyptian army. Slight miracle, okay? Only to just about a month later, melt all their gold to form a cow to worship it. Yeah, there was a long shelf life on that miracle. They really grew, didn't they? Miracles are cool and all, but that's not the substance of our faith. 
That's not what determines our spiritual maturity. It's walking with Christ. It's being empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's our relationship with Christ which roots and grows our souls. Amen? The miracles, the healings, all those things that God can do, that's just the bonus. It's just icing on the cake. We don't put our faith in those things. We put our faith in the one who does those things. That's where we have to make the delineation of that which is descriptive and prescriptive. But coming back to Acts 1.8, these guys couldn't do anything on their own. The Holy Spirit had to come to empower them. The church couldn't do anything on their own. The Holy Spirit had to come and empower the church. We can't do anything on our own. We need the empowering Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you're spiritually lost, you're spiritually searching, we're just trying to gently and lovingly let you know that without a relationship with God, Without faith in Christ and his death on the cross, his resurrection, you're living to a degree a powerless life because the Holy Spirit's not in you, but he wants to be. You can experience him. All you got to do is trust and believe in Christ. And so we see, secondly, the one, the person who empowered the Holy Spirit. So God's made us for this great purpose. He's made available to us the power to fulfill that purpose through the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, we see this, the purpose for empowerment. We don't just see that the people of empowerment are believers, when we look at Acts 1.8, we don't just see the person who does the empowering, the Holy Spirit. We also see the purpose for the empowerment. Sure, God has given us this amazing planet to enjoy. He, did, he didn't create earth to be like a jail cell and a place of drudgery and punishment. Enjoy it. I gave you beautiful things to see and experience. And so God allows us to enjoy life. You know, get a job, have a family, enjoy everything I've made. You know, like there's no doubt about that. But that's not the primary purpose that God's given us. The primary purpose that God has put into us is to glorify him, to glorify God, to live for him. And so when the Holy Spirit comes and you receive the Holy Spirit through belief in Jesus, now we have power to live a purposeful life, a pure life. We have the power to have a deeper devotion to God, and we now have the power to preach Jesus to the world. If the Holy Spirit's in you, then you're empowered to heal relationships. You're empowered to mend marriages. You're empowered to uh, kick addictions. You're empowered to see healings. You're empowered to restore communities. But the specific purpose for the Holy Spirit to be in you is to proclaim Jesus to the world. Our lives are simply a megaphone proclaiming the God who made us and the Savior who died and rose for us. That's the primary purpose to be a witness. When you look at this verse, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. That's the primary purpose. And so we witness for Christ by being obedient to him in our life. We witness for Christ by representing him and speaking about him in this life. Uh, we witness by taking the message of the birth and the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus to a world that doesn't know about it. And when we think about that term witness, uh, we're talking about giving testimony based on something you've experienced. The disciples experienced the resurrected Christ. They witnessed it. We, we, have, we hold in our hands an account of all that Jesus did. Like, think about it. The disciples didn't believe in Jesus because they never found his body. Like, think about that. They're like, well, I know, like, you know, he was buried and supposedly he resurrected and we haven't found the body, so I guess, I guess we'll just believe, you know? Sounds good. The disciples didn't believe in Jesus because they didn't find the body. The disciples believed in Jesus because they saw the resurrected body. Different. They witnessed it. Eyewitness account. And then God had them capture it to witness to us. Like, think about it. 
We're here January 2016 because we believe the written down account that God provided for us through the early disciples. And it's so weird because, you know, I've met some folks who they've got, you know, amazing uh, books that capture events that happen in the life of the grandparents and the great-grandparents. Oh, my great-grandma did this. My great-grandfather did this. It's amazing. They don't go, well, I don't know. I wasn't there to see that. I don't know if grandma really did that. You know, she might be lying. Granny's a liar. <laughs> Didn't happen. No, instead, it's like, man, look, look what my ancestors did. We got this rich history. It's so cool. And then we open up the Bible with our rich spiritual ancestor. And we go, well, I don't know, man. That whole, like, water to wine, I don't know. That's kind of, that's kind of out of the box. You know, calming the storm, feeding 5,000 with just a few things. Come on, really? Raising from the dead. Ah, that's, a, that's a tall item. I don't know. God captured it to give us confidence in all that happened. God captured it to give us confidence for a purpose to tell others what happened. Now, we weren't there to witness it in person, but what you are witnessing in person is what God's done in your life, right? When you witness you can tell people, this is who I was before I had Jesus. Look how he's transformed me and given me a new life. I'm a different person. I was angry and sad and lost and addicted, and now I'm free and I'm hopeful and have purpose, I have joy. They can't go like, yeah, you're just lying. You don't know what I'm talking about. That's your story. You can witness to people about the theological facts, science, archaeology, all the stuff that supports the Bible, and then you get the chance to tell them about what Jesus has done for you. That, that's the purpose that's the purpose of that. And if some of you are bored, maybe it's because this isn't even on your radar. You don't even have a relationship with Christ. Check this out. The reason some of you are frustrated, even though you are followers of Christ or proclaiming to be followers of Christ, is this. You're trying to use the Holy Spirit to be empowered to do your will. You're trying to use the Holy Spirit of God to accomplish your interest. And it's not working, so you're frustrated. Or you're trying to do the things for God, but you're trying to do it without the Holy Spirit. And you're frustrated. And so we don't need to be bored. We don't need to be frustrated. We don't need to be powerless because God has made us for a great purpose. A great purpose. And he's given us the power to uh, fulfill that purpose. And that's what God has for us. We're going to be going through this book of Acts. It's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be amazing. And we're going to grow, and we're going to help others grow because of it. And so this is just a little appetizer for what's to come, and I'm really excited for us to do that. But for this morning, make sure you're understanding God's made you for a greater purpose, and he's made available the power through the Holy Spirit to live out that purpose. Here's the one specific challenge I'm asking you guys to do today. I'm asking you to commit to memorize Acts 1.8. If you don't know it already, memorize this verse. Put this verse in your memory because if it's the last thing Jesus said before he left, it's got great importance and it can change our lives. And so memorize Acts 1.8 and put it in there. Secondly, pray this prayer on a regular basis, something like it. Just say, God, help me to live empowered by your spirit. Is that not a great thing to ask the Lord? That when you wake up in the morning, God, today, help me live empowered by your spirit for your purposes. As you're struggling, God, I'm overwhelmed today. Lord, help me to live empowered by your spirit, by your Holy Spirit today. And so if you start with that and just regularly put that into your prayer life, see what God's going to do. He's going to do some major things. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, he's inviting you into a relationship. And all you have to do is trust and believe. And if you do that, you just ask him. Say, say Lord, <laughs> I need that relationship with you. Come into my life. 
I want to believe. I believe in the death of Jesus on the cross. I believe in your resurrection from the grave. I want to follow you. I want to receive this power of the Holy Spirit in my life so I can live for your purpose. Just, just talk to the Lord and tell him something like that and enter into that relationship and just watch to see what God will do in your life. If you do that, make sure you share that with us through the response card around you. Just write that down, put it in the basket, and share that with us. But for the rest of us, memorize Acts 1.8 and start regularly praying, if you aren't already, Lord, help me live empowered by your Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for today. God, thank you for this book, the Acts of the Apostles, or the Acts of the Holy Spirit, if you will. Lord, that you captured the early church, our, our spiritual ancestors and all that you did in the early church, Lord God, and that same power, and the same Holy Spirit that you did then is available to us now. God, we confess that the reason some of us are not experiencing it is because, uh, Lord, we've gotten bored. <laughs> we've sat still. We haven't moved into relationship with you. And so God, help us to do that. Help us to take more serious uh, what you have for us, Lord. Help us to live with the power you've made available and for the purpose that you've called us to, Lord God. Forgive us for living for our own kingdoms, Lord. Help us live for your kingdom, the spiritual kingdom that one day when you come back, you're gonna set up fully and finally and physically. We can't wait for that day. So God, take our lives as gifts. Use them as witnesses for your kingdom. Take these gifts we're about to give through our offerings. Lord, take them and multiply them as witnesses for your power and your kingdom. We ask in Jesus' name, and we all sit together.